Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I have the privilege of continuing our Advent series on why Christ came. And uh, I'm going to be talking about why he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, an easy topic to to talk about on a Sunday morning sermon. Um, So we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20. If you need a Bible, there's some in the pews there as well. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, and we'll have it on the screen also. And Jesus here is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, probably his most famous sermon that he ever gave throughout Scripture. And at a point in the early part of the sermon, he stands up and he says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter Not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was growing up, I loved fantasy. And and one of my all-time favorite fantasy series was the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm sure several of us in here are familiar with it. If you're not, though, it's a fantasy series that's written for the purpose of conveying truths about the gospel to young readers. And the last book of the series is a book called The Last Battle, and there's a scene in it that caught my imagination when I was very young. Toward the end of the book, Narnia itself, the land of the books, is beginning to fall away. It's falling into destruction, but a door opens to a new world. And the main characters are looking into this world, and this world is known as Aslan's country. Aslan's the Christ figure of the story. And the characters are welcomed into this new world. And when they come in, they realize that the world that they are seeing is familiar to them, but also different. It looks a lot like the Narnia they knew before, but the colors are deeper. The smells are more pronounced. The beauty is greater. And it leads one of the characters by the name of Jewel the Unicorn to say this. I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked like this. Come further up and further in. And I love this line, come further up and further in, because I think it articulates something deep within our hearts that longs for something more than what we've seen 
and what we've known. There's a hope in us that reaches out to something that is familiar but also different. Something that is deeper, something that is truer, and something that actually leads us into the life we were created to embrace. And the call of God back to us throughout Scripture, I believe, is this same call. Come further up and further in to me. Come further up and further into the life I'm offering. Come further up and further in to my holiness and into my glory. And the culminating point of this cry to come further up and further in in the scriptural narrative is the coming of God in flesh. Jesus himself, he pierces the veil of our own existence, takes on a body like ours, and invites us with a human voice that is empowered by the thundering voice of Yahweh that says, come further up and further in to me. And on the Sermon of the Mount, this is the voice that Jesus is echoing. He had come in flesh. He had begun to declare that I have come to bring a kingdom that is different from the one of this world. Brock, a couple weeks ago, talked about Jesus coming to bring the kingdom of God. And so he steps up on a mountain. He gathers his disciples around him. And there's a vast crowd at the bottom. And he begins to give them the way of this kingdom, the further up and further in way. And he's letting them know that this way absorbs every other way they have known before, but it's beginning to birth something new that's taking them deeper into the life God had intended. And the way before carried promise with it, but it didn't carry the power to fulfill it. And I want to take a moment to look at the before way in Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus... It's the story of God's deliverance for the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. But it's not just deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, it's deliverance into God's covenant with Israel, God's love union with them. And in chapter 19, God had brought the people of Israel to this place called Mount Sinai, which was known as the mountain of God. And he's about to offer them his covenant promise to draw them into this love union that he has desired for them since he has delivered them. And he tells Moses from this place, gather the people around the base of the mountain, consecrate them because I'm going to come on the mountain and I'm going to speak to them. And Moses obeys. He gathers the people around the mountain. He consecrates them. And all of a sudden, lightning, thunder, a cloud burning with fire and smoke descends on the mountain. And a voice begins to thunder. And it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And he begins to give them the Ten Commandments. Out of God's holiness, out of the intense nature of his glory, he is birthing what we call the law, which is his way of keeping the people close to him so that they can be purified by his presence. He wants them near. But something happens in chapter 20 that's really interesting. And in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18... It says this, when all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. And Moses said, you speak, and and they said to Moses, you speak to us 
and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come to test you. Another way of viewing that, he's come to measure your hearts. He's come to bring all the gunk to the surface. And to put the fear of him on you, so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Here was the glory of God descending on Mount Sinai. And he's speaking to his people. He's wanting to wed himself to them. And he thunders with the power of his voice to let them know how big he is, but also to welcome them into the holiness that can make them clean. But the people's response is different. They look at the fear of the Lord that is on the mountain. They're fully exposed before him. And they are afraid, and they stand at a distance. The fear of the Lord is awesome, but at the same time, it's extremely uncomfortable. Because when we're exposed to the glory of God, it begins to pull out all the junk on the inside that we don't want anyone else to see, and we don't like looking at ourselves. But here God is, and they see his glory, and they see the purifying gaze of that glory staring deep into their hearts, and they look at Moses and they say, we can't take this because it feels like we're about to die. You speak to God, and then you speak to us. We'll take what he says, but we'd rather not have his presence. It's kind of like standing on the altar on a wedding day and your spouse looks at you and says, I love the security that you're offering me here and I'll take that, but I don't want you. We have words for that in our language, which I won't use here. This is what is happening here in Exodus chapter 20. And Moses cries out to the people, don't be afraid. God is doing this on purpose. He's showing you what's in your hearts so that he can clean you out and make you his people. But the people stand at a distance while Moses draws near. In this moment, the law, which is a gift of God to keep the people close and to purify them, becomes for them the way they stay distant from God. We'll take the letter, but we don't want the person. We come to find out in the story that this doesn't last for very long. It doesn't take but a few chapters for them to fall into idolatry because the letter of the law itself can't do what the holiness of God needs to do here. And so this is a cycle that Israel walks through, this cycle of idolatry and, and falling into the worship of other gods. And even when they come back to God, their observance of the law is empty. And during the course of this cycle, these men rise up who carry fire in their bones. They've seen the face of Yahweh, and they want to call the people back to him. These are the ones we call the prophets. And they declare to the people, God doesn't want your observance, he doesn't want your lip service, and he definitely doesn't want your idolatry, he wants your heart. But in order to get it, something new has to come. And so the prophets begin to declare a new hope, a new covenant that is going to be birthed out of the covenant that they've known. It's a covenant that takes the heart of flesh, puts a heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone that they've known. 
It's a covenant that is the gift of God's own spirit living on the inside of them, which is the new law. The one who empowers them and enables them to live close to Yahweh's presence. And it's also a spirit that's going to be poured out on all flesh. In other words, with this hope, God is declaring, hey, I want this to pervade all of creation. And so they begin to declare these things. And this prophetic voice culminates in the voice of John the Baptist, which we read in John chapter 1, that voice today. And John the Baptist is the, is the final prophet that precedes Jesus. And he jumps in on the scene and says, Hey, everything that we have prophesied about, everything that we've hoped for is coming. And it's this man by the name of Jesus who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then here comes Jesus. He stands and he begins to declare the Sermon on the Mount. And in declaring the Sermon on the Mount... He absorbs in himself the law and the prophets, everything that came before. He declares that it's good. He says, I've not come to do away with it. It's going to endure to the end, but out of it, I'm bringing something better. He speaks with the prophetic fire himself, and he declares the new is here, and the new is me. The very fire you need to purify your own heart and to keep you close, I bring that. I've pierced the veil. Where you have kept your distance from me, I have come close as, as a human being. And in coming close, I'm drawing you into my divine reality. And this new thing takes shape on a different mountain that we're going to look at here in a second. And if you want to turn to the passage in Matthew chapter 17, you can, but I'm just going to recap it. We have another mountain that shows up in Scripture, and this is called the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a lot of mountains in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 17, he tells us that one day Jesus pulls to himself Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up into a mountain. And as they're climbing the mountain, all of a sudden, something about Jesus changes. His face begins to shine like the sun. His clothes begin to radiate white like fire. In other words, Jesus is pulling back the veil and showing them who they've been walking with all along. This one who they saw as a prophet, the one who they saw as the Messiah is now being revealed as Yahweh himself. And they're staring at him. And while they're there on the mountain, it's almost like time and space itself peels back. And next to him is Moses, the law, staring at the face of Yahweh on Sinai. And on the other side is Elijah, the prophets, looking at the one who brought the fire on Mount Carmel. And they're standing on a new mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, the one that's going to bring all things new to where we are today. And Peter, James, and John are being welcomed into this new mountain. They're being brought into the holiness of God here. And then Peter stands up, and Luke tells us, because he has nothing better to say, which is pretty common for Peter, he says this, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> I'm sure it is. 
Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. This is Peter's way of taking control. Great, you brought us into the glory of your own presence. Let's institutionalize it. Let's do what we've done before. Let's make you one among many. But when he says this, a cloud descends, the cloud on Sinai. And a voice thunders, the same voice that thundered the Ten Commandments. And says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And it says that Peter, James, and John fall on their face and they tremble in fear. But Jesus walks up to them. Places his hand on them. And he echoes a similar phrase. Do not be afraid. The same voice that cried out, do not be afraid on Sinai is echoing again to Peter, James, and John. Which, by the way, represent all of us in this room. He's saying, don't be afraid. And they look up and they don't see Moses and Elijah anymore. They see Jesus. Because he's the voice for them to listen to. He's the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. Who brings the fire that the law could not bring. And the way he fulfills it is by pulling us up into his own holiness. Purifying us in that place because the letter of the law itself cannot do that. And then he baptizes us with the fire of his spirit so that we can be made his own. He's getting what he wants here. A people that are united with him in his glory. But the thing about this is that it still takes a willingness to be exposed. It still takes a willingness to give up control. And I don't know about you, but I've responded like Peter many, many, many times. To catch a glimpse of the face of Jesus and then jump up and try to take the reins. I've even responded like Israel. To be exposed to the glory of God and then to say, you know what? I'll take the good things you've given me and I'll use them as a way to keep you at a distance. I'm all for spiritual formation. But sometimes our methods of formation can be practices that we use to avoid the presence. They're meant to lead us into the presence. They're meant to expose us fully before the fire of God and to purify our own hearts. And I think the call of the one who fulfills the law and the prophets is this, I've come to make you mine. Don't hold anything back. I've come to expose you to my face, to my glory, to impart who I am into you. You can't do this on your own. You need me. And I'm going to be completely honest this week. I have been wrestling with this text. Because there has been something within me that has not responded the best to it. There was an aggravation. It was almost like a stone that was just in my stomach that was not leaving me alone. And I was frustrated. And last night I was praying and even kind of agonizing over this thing. And I was asking, what in the world is the problem? And I heard this thing. 
I say, it's because I want to do to you what I did to Peter, James, and John. And there are places that you've held back. Let my glory come there. I like control a lot. And I hate it at the same time. I think the invitation today is from a God who wants to take the reins himself. Who jumped in where the law itself had no power. And said, I'm offering you my spirit of fire. To purify that thing that's kept you at a distance. And I wonder if that's a call to all of us here. What is the thing that has kept kept us at a distance? Even if it looks good. And where is the invitation of the spirit? Let me burn you up. Come and gaze at the face of the one who spoke on Sinai. And who is the fire that consumed the altar that Elijah built. And who is welcoming us into union with him. Let's pray. Father, we welcome the presence of your purifying.